words from the hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you for this conversation we're going to have this morning. We yield ourselves to you. We place our lives in your hands. We ask that many of us who may have questions, you will bring us through. We ask, oh God, that you stay with us, even through the things we don't understand. Let your wisdom be revealed. Ask that as we learn together, we'll plow your wisdom. This day, in the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. So today is the titled message is God, why? God, why? I absolutely believe that it's exactly okay for us to ask questions. God is not angry with us when we ask questions. God is not upset with us trying to know. And there are many things we don't understand this morning is actually, uh, we can start with a conversation. If God were physically in this room, like we all say we shall know as we are known, right? Like when we arrive heaven, we have so many questions we'll ask God. How many of you feel like even right now you want to ask God some questions? Yeah. So we can, we can try to bring up some of those questions today. You know, the whole idea is not for us to necessarily answer all the questions. So let's have a second mic. Who is going to help us? So the whole idea is not to necessarily answer all the questions, but I just want to bring the principle of the fact that we can actually ask questions. It's actually okay for you to ask questions. God, why? So, I saw a lot of you nodding when I said, if you have questions you'd like to ask God, um, yes. So let's start from Ugo. Why Nigeria? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a classic. <laughs> Why were you born in Nigeria? Why is Nigeria existing? Which one of them? Both of them. <laughs> That's That's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. So let's take more. Any other person? Some people here were nodding their head. Deborah, you wanted to ask, you have a question for God. If God showed up now, what will you ask him? <laughs> it's a question is so private, you're scared. You can't say it in church. Please feel free. Let's, let's have five minutes of asking questions. Yeah. Um, why do bad things happen to good people why and do, vice versa? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good people encounter bad things. Yes. Why are we alive in a time such as this? Why are we alive in a time such as this? It's a very important questions. Yes, Sandra. If God is omnipotent and he knows everything and he knows that someone is going to sin, why does he allow such a person sin? If God is omnipotent and he knows someone is going to fall into sin, 
why does he allow such a person to fall into sin since it's all powerful he can stop the person from sinning you know why does he allow such a person to fall into sin yeah any more questions what is the essence of pain and fear and sorrows why do we have pain and sorrows what does what good does pain serve in the world or to anything so I actually came with with about 10 of my own questions as well so I didn't come claiming that I have all the answers to your questions I actually came to ask God why myself <laughs> and it's so who will answer <laughs> We'll get into the secret place and we'll see the answer that he will say to us. But a few of the questions I can start with, like, why Nigeria? There are many nations and purposes in the heart of God. And God from time to time chooses a nation that he wants to walk with. The children of Israel were chosen by God. And as they were chosen by God, God decided that, okay, upon this people, he is going to put his own name and all the other nations of the world will see them and move towards them as God's people. But something happens. Every time God assembled his people, the people's hearts wandered away from God. And God's intention could never be arrived at. As a result, what God did was to allow his people to to face oppression and obstacles. And every time they faced oppression and obstacles, that's the only time they remembered God. In their hardship, they will turn back to God and God will bring them back to their place. And this game continued until they, be, they stopped being a nation totally. Israel stopped existing from the face of the earth. They were totally wiped out until 1947 when the United Nations brought them back together as a nation, which is the reason why you have the Palestinian-Israeli war. Because at the time when Israel was no more on the land, the people of Palestine, the Arabs, had taken over all of the land. So when the Israelis came back in 1947, the Arabs were not having it. None of the Arab countries were happy. So the first country to restore diplomatic ties with Israel was Egypt. The second one was United Arab Emirates. Israel was a type of a nation of people who, if they walked with God nicely, God was, all the other nations would say, oh, look at how it looks like to be a people of God. I feel like Nigeria was one of those kind of nations created by God. Think about this. There are about, all the black, there are about one point. 1.4, 1.5 billion black people in the world. You know. And we are 200 million. So that means that one in every seven black people you meet in the world is Nigerian. If God is going to do anything with the black race, it has to actually start from Nigeria. We're the most populated. We're the most decisive. We're the most energetic. We're the most egregious tribe of people. So there is actually like an agenda of God 
for Nigeria. You understand? And that's exactly why the devil really rushed ahead to make us look bad and to give us a bad reputation because if Nigeria is no more regarded around the world, how can he accomplish God's agenda? The prophetic word has gone out. The most notable one is the Pa Elton who said, Nigeria will be known all over the world for corruption, destruction, and evil. And then God will turn around the destiny of Nigeria and Nigeria will be known all over the world for strength, for the gospel, and for the wisdom of God. And that people will be begging for the Nigerian passport. That word is still hanging over Nigeria. That's why Nigeria. Why are we in the nation for such a time as, why are we alive for such a time as this? God places his people and births his people in the midst of adversity. Adversity is the currency by which anyone is built. I can tell you, it goes with the question of pain as well. Like, no one ever learned anything by the things they were walking through normally. Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Pain actually works for us like a, a thermostat. In chapter 4 of, of my book, which I'm going to launch this time for real in January, in February 2021, I wrote about mental health, pain, and suicide. Pain is like, is like a... Pain is like a receptacle. So we have our central nervous system as human beings. Each of the capillary ends up with something like a sensor. When, you, when your body touches pain, it sends a message through your central nervous system to your brain that there is danger. Pain tells you where there's danger. Without feeling pain, you could actually mortally wound yourself. Without feeling pain, you won't be able to remove your hand from the fire. Without feeling pain, you won't, you won't be able to train yourself to behave in a particular way. I, I can tell you many examples of children who try to touch fire, try to touch fire. As a parent, many times, guess what I do sometimes? <laughs> many of you parents are on this table. You, you allow the child to touch the fire once. Oh, don't put, don't, put a, don't put a key in the electricity hole. Don't put a key in the electricity hole. Don't, you tell children that 100 times. Look at Paul. Paul looks like the kind of person who puts. <laughs> and then you put it, and then it shocks you from that time. No more lessons. All the lessons learned. Pain is actually what prevents us from mortally wounding ourselves. Well, there's pain at that individual level and there's pain at a global level and pain at a national level. Right now, we all know what it looks like to appoint a wicked president. We all know what it feels like. Yeah. You understand? You know what it feels like and he wants you that next time, don't do it. Pain is the warning signal for what... So, that's actually the role of pain. If God knows that we are going to do sin, why does he still permit us? If he's totally supreme, God's knowledge does not become his inhibition of his love for you. If God will love us, 
perfectly, then he must give us free will. And anyone who is forced to do anything doesn't have free will. The fact that God knows you're going to sin tomorrow doesn't mean he's going to kill you today so that you won't sin tomorrow. He will allow you the opportunity of meeting the sin and deciding whether you want to do it and you can still change your mind because you have free will. Otherwise, he would have forced you to choose him and that will no more be love because love that is forced is not really love. So that is why God doesn't preempt he knows, but he doesn't preempt your action. He still permits you to go through the choice. It's your choice. And you cannot say it's not your choice. We all have the choice to choose. And these kind of messages mostly are not normally nice. People like the kind of messages of where we are dashing out miracle, take your miracle, take your miracle. But actually, these are the real questions that we face when we go to bed at night. Do you understand? God delights in us. God rejoices over us. God rejoices over us, but he will not himself take over what we have to do. There's one more question missing. What's the last question? I answered the question of pain. Yes? Why do bad things happen to good people? So that I will cover inside the message. In fact, the, the first title is, Why Does a Good God Allow Evil? Let's start from Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7 to 10. Jeremiah 27. O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and have prevailed. I am a derisome daily. Everyone mocks me. Keep going. Verse 8, for when I spoke, I cried out. I shouted of violence and plunder. Because the word of the Lord was made to me, a reproach and a derision, derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more of his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut out in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, I could not. For I heard many mockery, fear on every side. Report, they said, and we will report it. All my, all my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him and would take our revenge on him. Jeremiah was a mighty prophet, but he never got any access to anyone. When he preached, nobody listened to him. His message fell on deaf ears, and most people did not like him. <laughs> I don't want to be that kind of prophet, though. He really suffered. So his friends were saying, oh, he's going to trap himself now. He's going to trap himself now. Let's see. He's going to commit something now. You know how the media wait for pastors? You know how Western media waits for pastors? So the pastor, like, oh, uh, they are waiting for you to make a slip. There's a pastor of righteousness called Jimmy Swaggart. He used to preach about holiness and giving your life to Christ and, and sin, and he used to cry on the altar. The media had been waiting for him for years, thrilling him, following him. You know what he did one day? 
there is actually a, you know, this naked girl's boat in the city where he is. He went one evening to go and see naked girls. The city newspaper got a photo of him. That was the end of his ministry. They've been waiting for him for years. That's Jeremiah. They said, let him sleep up a little. We'll fire him. <laughs> we'll show him. Everything he said, he was crying out. The people were never listening. He said, I said, God, I don't want to preach again. He says, but then, he said, every time I open my, word, my mouth to speak, my, my speaking was like a cry, was like a shout. It was so violent. People just hated me. Then I said, I won't preach again. But then your word was in my heart like fire. Shut up in my bones. Is that not crazy? It's amazing. <laughs> but the most searched out word in 2020 is why. Google's most searched out word in 2020 is why. Everybody wants to know why. Why the pandemic? Why so many things? Another prophet we want to talk about this morning is a man called Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2 to 5. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not hear? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destructions and violence are before me. Strife is, going, is ongoing and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked hem in the righteous and justice is perverted. And God said to him, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly outstanding. For I am about to walk a walk in your days that you will never believe, even if someone told you. Habakkuk was an unhappy prophet as well, just like Jeremiah. And Habakkuk will ask questions, God, why? He will carry prayer burdens and discharge them. Habakkuk was like, God, why all this trouble? Why do you cause me to see? You know, it's better if you don't know than if you know. In fact, when you're in the position of power, it's more annoying to you when you can see the hypocrisy. When you're close to the man who everybody honors and you know he's not all that. <laughs> Do you understand? It's more painful to know. It's better to even probably live in an illusion. Habakkuk was this kind of guy who knew that evil was going on. And he kept asking God, why? And guess what God told him? I'm working a work right now. Habakkuk, if I told you, you will not believe. My God, for real? There are bigger questions than even the questions we've asked this morning. Let's look at natural disasters. So I am bringing my own questions now. Why will God allow a tsunami and an earthquake in the eve of Christmas in the Indian Ocean? in December 2004 that wiped out 270,000 people within the space of two days. Why will a good God allow the coronavirus to attack his creation? 
What of cancer? What of HIV AIDS? And incurable terminal diseases. Every year, hurricanes hit the US. Earthquakes in Indonesia and flash floods in India. There's a particular place in the, in the world called the Ring of Fire. 75% of the Earth's volcanoes happen around that Ring of Fire. That place is around the Pacific Ocean and is responsible for 90% of all the earthquakes in the world. Why does God make his earth and put a fault line in a place, a particular place where fire will be coming out and earthquake will be breaking out? Is he for joy? Is he, does he rejoice to see human beings just perish? Right. Then we'll, we'll talk about our own national problems, like why Nigeria? Why is there corruption? Why is there injustice? Why is there murder? Why is religious riots common? Why is there banditry and kidnapping? You know, the Bible says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of rejoicing. There is some church right now, when you go, it will be only a party. Do you understand? But we, ask, we have to ask ourselves hard questions as well. Why? What does corruption serve? What else? Why in our nation will hope be so difficult to come by? Many people rose up from abroad about seven, eight years ago. They were called returnees and they were coming back to Nigeria in droves, like with big visions. I'm going to revolutionize education. Some say I'm going to go into health sector. Some were saying all types of things. And there was a wave we called the wave of returnees about 10 years ago, right? And Many of them crashed and burned. Broken dreams. How can a good God allow a bad government to real, rule good people? How can the richest nation in the world be driven to poverty? We've seen this example before in Venezuela. Venezuela was one of those countries, if you, maybe those of us who finished university, I finished the university, I graduated from the university in 1992. Those of us who graduated around that time, we actually were filling out Commonwealth forms. And some of the nations wanted to go to, why are you smiling about 1992? You were not born, right? <laughs> we're filling out Commonwealth forms to go to, one of the countries we all wanted to go to was Venezuela. It stood in the same rank as Malta, you understand? Not, not necessarily a first world, but at least it was up there in the list of countries. Today, Venezuela, they are all broken and begging for medicines. Broken, the economy is an oil-rich country. That country was driven to penury by Hugo Chavez and his friends. Broken to pieces. How can Nigeria, which transported oil palm to Malaysia, Malaysia is a palm oil exporting country around Europe right now. And we now have to import palm oil. We gave them the first palms they used to. How can you be so rich and so poor at the same time? There's gold in Zamfara State. There is Kusa. So many different kind of 
precious mineral resources in Jos. Since the indigenization decree of 1976, when the mines were indigenized and the foreigners were forced out, no one has done that level of large-scale mines. Right now, we are fighting for the lands around the old mines to build our houses. No one is thinking, where are the new mines? There's something under this ground. No one's thinking like that. I'm not talking petroleum yet. I'm talking about other things. Agriculture. A land from where you can farm all the way from Kano to Bayelsa. You can farm anywhere in Nigeria. Different kinds of crops. From those northern places where the land is ele elevated, sorghum, millet, all the corn, they do very well. In the southern parts, heavy, heavy plants like what's what you have? Plantain, potatoes, no, potatoes is still northern. Cocoa, you have like real good cash crops you can farm. How can a nation with such land mass be poor? So, that's a nation. Let's, let's, let's bring it back home. I'm sure some of us were born in family where there's polygamy. The father married more than one wife and that was the beginning of our problems. The children of the first wife fighting the children of the second wife. All of divorce. All of domestic violence. I'm sure many of you remember the Bune State man who married a doctor. That's in the news this week, last two weeks. What of husbands who cheat? In fact, many women have agreed that all men cheat. Men are. <laughs> I didn't say that word. What of difficult women? The Bible says it's better to live in the corner of a rooftop than with a nagging woman. Difficult. Where do you go? when you yourself find yourself in moral failure as an individual. You are raised high and everybody now said, you're not good enough. You yourself realize that you're actually in moral failure. Where do you turn at the end of your life? Why will a good God allow autism, dyslexia, epilepsy, leprosy, and mental health challenges? How come he could not create perfect human beings? I, I told you I had more questions than you guys. <laughs> Why are so many people born with, born with difficulties and have no say in their own lives? Why is there this inability for us to reach our goals? Why are we unable to climb? Why are we unable to break out? Why are there other people who are always better than us? Why are there other people who are brighter, faster, wiser, cooler, and more knowledgeable? Why can't we be the eat guy? Ask, why can't I be the eat guy? Ask yourself, why can't I be the eat babe? Why? 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 Let's go to the Bible and take a look at what the Bible says about our wives. Isaiah 45, verse 5. God does not deny that he's not the one doing these things. In fact, he agrees that he's the one doing it. 
And that's the beauty of Isaiah 45. It says, I am the Lord. Isaiah 45 from verse 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will guide you though you have not known me. That you may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none beside me. I am the Lord. There is no other. He is repeating himself. <laughs> I'm God. There is nobody else. There is no devil. There is no man of wickedness. There is no evil man after your life. There are no witches. I am God. There is no other. Nothing compares to who I am. I am God. There is no other. I am God all by myself. There is nothing else that can stand before you if you stand before me. There is no other. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form the light. I create the darkness. Now that's strange scripture. I make peace. I create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. It's clear from this scripture. It does both. Look at it. Can we read this? I form the light. This scripture is not ambiguous at all. Is it ambiguous? Let's read it together. One, two, go. I form the light. I can't hear you guys. I make peace. Okay, one more time. I and create the darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. This is not a fair scripture. Why? Why, oh God? Number one, God is bigger than our mindset of Him. Why does all these things happen? Number one, God is bigger than all we know of Him. Evil and good exist in His hands. When God wanted to kill His own son, He was a devil that was a high priest that did the execution job. So the Bible now lets us say that if the prince of this world had known, He would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Can you imagine that God wants to have His own son killed for the sin of humanity? Who was the man He used to do the job? The devil. So the devil is a walker for God. The devil works for God. Every evil the devil has done, God is going to convert it into currency for himself. Say amen. You guys believe this? Because I, when, they, when I ask the question, a lot of you guys, for it's true, why, pastor? Why? Why? Oh, why? Why? Oh, why? You want to play the music, right? Why? Oh, why? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. So many wise. God holds everything together. I am the Lord. There is no other. Second answer. The earth is not everything. There is more. This world we see is not everything. There is more. And this is one of my arguments against scientists. So, 
The best vision instrument we have in the world is the Hubble's telescope. From the Hubble's telescope, which is, a, uh, which is actually a satellite launched into outer space, it sits in a particular place. From there, all of science can view the solar system. They can see the Milky Way, which is our galaxy. They can see other planets that are much further than our own galaxy. They can peep into the outbacks of space, which is so wide. And in a billion years, you wouldn't have finished traveling through space. How many of us have a billion years to live? So can I tell you the truth? Really, nobody knows what is out there. Nobody knows. What did I say? Yeah, even the scientists. Our best is what we have seen so far. There's a whole lot more we have not seen. So this morning, I want, I want you to think. God wants you to use your brain today. Today's church is not just about you receiving. God wants you to what? Think. You know, many times when we come to church, some of us will put our brain somewhere else. But today, God wants you to use your mind. So if science can only see in part, why does science conclude that there is no God? Why does science, why is science so arrogant? So can I tell you something? Science is great when it helps you navigate the world. Turn left, turn right. Here's the subroutine for your programming. Here's the activity you're going to do. Yeah, science is great when it helps you to navigate. If you want to fly, these are the laws to fly. If you want to touch down, but science is wrong every time it concludes because there is still more that is being discovered. How can you total the answer when you haven't summed up everything? We're still learning. Even in God, there is more. Say, there is more. Say it again, there is more. We do not see it yet. We do not see all of it yet. We only see in part. And that's why I love that song. When I only see in part, I will prophesy your promise. I believe you, God, because you finish what you start. I will trust you in the process. Ah, I just start vibing immediately when I hear that song. When I only sing in part, I will prophesy your promise. Oh my God, such a beautiful song. Why? We only see in part. We prophesy in part. All our visions are in part. Even our science is a part. Everything we understand is a part. There is a bigger picture. There is much more than you ever venture to see. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 16 says it like this. For if the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 16. For if the dead were not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If our hope in Christ is for this life alone, we are to be pitied more than all men. Look at how it says in this translation. If it is only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. 
if all you can think about is the earth, if all you can think about is this world, if all you can think about is the reward of earth, the money of earth, the power of earth, if all you can think about is the authority of men, standing before men of influence on earth, you're of all men most pitiable. There is more. There is more than meets the eye. There is more than we see in the normal universe. In the annals of God, there is more. In the deep purposes into the realms of the spirit, there is more. Even in the human universe, there is more. There are more planets that we've never seen. And God says that every one of us is preparing us on earth, making us ready for us to rule the nations. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, we're going to reign together with him. So, is it possible that there are other planets that have human beings? Is it possible that God is still creating other moons, other earths? Is it possible that there's life anywhere else? Do you know that's a question of science? Science always asks, are there signs of life on Mars? There's signs of life on Jupiter. Even in our galaxy, we don't know whether there are life in other planets. Nobody used to try to go near the sun. Everybody respect themselves. All these are scientists. Nobody used to try it. All the best vessels or instruments of men that they drove towards the sun, when you reach a particular distance, to just disintegrate, fall into pieces, the leg will fall off, the leg hand will fall off. Nobody tries it. <laughs> we all respect ourselves when we see the sun. There's a call it solar flare, gas flare, uh, call it whatever name. Go near and see. You should be you are very wise, you can investigate everything. Even our son, we don't understand. Man makes so much useless boast. We don't see it all. We don't know it all. We don't understand it all. Think about it. Try to explain skyscraper to a fish. A fish lives in water, right? Try to get the fish. You know, among human beings, there used to be something called tall houses, also called skyscraper. Try and tell that to a fish. Number one, why does the fish need to know? Number two, it's beyond the brain of a fish. The fish is just looking to become bigger so they can eat smaller fish. Do you know there are some things that in our flesh and blood as human beings we will never know? Man boasts so much about how he knows, but our brain is just too trite to comprehend the greatness of God. The earth is not everything. Repeat after me. The earth is not everything. Repeat one more time. The earth is not everything. I want to give you other kinds of paradigms apart from the cheap mentalities that fill our churches. The earth is not everything. The earth is not everything. This world is not everything. This earth is not everything. This is not all that there is. There is more. There is more. There is more. There is more in the outbacks of all we've seen. There is more. In the deep annals of God, there is more. When you plumb the depths of God in prayer, He always reveals to your spirit that there is more. When you deepen yourself in God, you always experience the extraordinary power of God. God is more than what your eyes see. God is more than what you have defined. God is more than what you understand today. All that you see is a part, is a part. This earth is not 
everything there is more number three redemption is coming number three redemption is coming we all know the story of the fall how Adam and Eve fell in the garden of Eden and when they fell sin entered and when sin entered then there was a curse so all of creation is living out the curse of sin and what was the curse of sin? Thorns and thistles. So work was not supposed to be painful. Work was supposed to be enjoyable. But when sin came, sin was also the reason why pain came. Pain was a product of the fall. And when we are fully redeemed, there will be no more pain. When we are fully redeemed, we read in the book of Revelation, there was a sea of river of glass coming. There will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. Pain is a product of this fallen state. And even though pain helps us to navigate our world, pain helps us to see that there is a rail. If you fall from this rail, you are going down 10 stories. So pain helps us, that pain of hitting the bar and falling down helps us to see that we don't have to go over the rails. Pain is a barrier that God has put to make us not to self-destruct. While we are on earth, while we're in this realm, while we're in this body, there is more. And there's a coming time when all of creation will be redeemed. Ever since the curse, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, all of humanity have been subjected to pain. You plant. How many of you know farming here? I use a lot of farming examples because I grew up in my early years as a farmer before I became something else. I don't know what you, how many of you know understand farming? Anyone here? Oh, all of you guys are city people. Oh, thank God. Yes, Nafa and Pastor Heidi, the only two farmers. All of you guys, what else? Oh, you understand farming a little bit. Who else? Nobody. Okay. So I wish I can call Nafa and Pastor Aidy so we can stand together and teach you guys about farming just a little bit. But can I tell you something about farming? Farming is very, very, very interesting. You plant, okay, even if you don't farm, how many of you have done flowers at least in your house? Flowers, plants, yeah, thank God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. When you plant your garden in front of your house, you plant a lawn. Do you used to plant those other things that grow along the lawn? Will they grow? No matter how much you try. You are planting good grass. Where does the other grass come from? Even if you tell you this is a pure rest plant, after a while, tears will grow among them product of the curse. Here you work in an organization. You are planting good seeds. After a while you wake up and discover somebody is hating you because you are shining. Because you're really good. What is that? Tears. You're building a project. As the project becomes successful, Jealousy will enter into the heart of some of the director or some of the junior people and they want to what? Take you down. What is that? Tears. Say tears. You plant good seed on your ground, but what do you have there sometimes? Tears. Where did tears come from? 
where these wicked things come from. When you plant good, they are a product once again of the curse. So God is waiting to redeem good seeds. God is waiting to restore creation. God is waiting to restore everything he has made. All of creation is waiting. And we know this scripture very popular in Romans chapter 8. How does he say? Romans chapter 8 verse 19 to 21. It says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not by its own will, but because of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage of decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the liberty of the children of God. Creation is waiting for the sons of God. Creation, that's the earth, the flora and the fauna of the earth. You know the earth, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and there them dwell therein. There are two things God will redeem, the earth and the world. What are the two things God will redeem? The earth and the world. Give me your brain one more time. The earth and the world. What will God, what is the earth? The flora and the fauna, the waterways, the mountains, the archipelagos, the the flow of the, the physical earth, what you call, when you, how many of you have done geography here? You do physical earth. That's the, the earth's core, the earth system, the land, the waterways, the mountains, the highway, the physical body of earth and the plants and the animals. This is the earth. Do you understand? Then the world is also fallen. The world is culture, systems, governments. That's the world. The financial system, the economy. So God is going to redeem the earth, physical earth, and God is going to redeem the world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Do you guys remember this scripture? Where is that scripture from? Psalm 24, right? The earth is the Lord's, verse 1, and the fullness there of the world and them that dwell therein. Redemption is coming. Redemption is coming. Redemption is coming. Redemption is coming. Why is there trouble in the world? Because redemption is coming. God gave man free will and man messed up with his free will. And when man messed up his free will, every evil entered on the, into creation. The earth became cursed. Every time you yourself choose your free will above God, every time you yourself choose your own ideology above God, you know, we blame Adam and Eve, but we're doing it today. We blame Adam and Eve, but we're doing it today. We're walking away from from God. We're walking away from His plan from our lives. But guess what? Redemption is coming. I want us to shout it out. Redemption is coming. Say it one more time. Redemption. 
I can hear you. Redemption is coming. I can hear you. Redemption is coming. Why? Why? The reason why we must stay is we're waiting for the adoption. We're waiting for redemption. We're tiring for the power. We're waiting for the glory of God. We are saved in the past. We are being saved today because when we come to God and we're walking out our salvation with fear and trembling that we shall be saved. There's a salvation that we can't walk out. There's a salvation that we cannot complete by our own power. For God who works in us both to will and to do of His own good pleasure will supersede us. He will come in His eternal redemptive power. When you ask your why, the why is because redemption is coming. God did not conscribe you to live like this for the rest of your life. God did not describe you like this. God did not create you to live in pain forever. The many wise can be answered in this that the day is coming when the elements of the earth will melt with quick and fervent heat and we can look beyond the earth and the bible says in first Thessalonians 4 16 17 and the trumpet of God will sound and those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and we shall meet the dead also who will rise and go first and we shall always be with the Lord redemption is coming redemption is coming redemption is coming redemption is coming whatever you're going through redemption is coming whatever pain whatever question fills your head redemption is coming whatever problems you have with your nation redemption is coming whatever sickness fills your body redemption is coming whatever evil fills your world redemption is coming God did not design man to stay lost forever God did not create us to stay with our pain forever redemption is coming redemption is coming grace is coming grace is coming power is coming as men ask more and more wise God gives us a knowledge of himself he wants to redeem you he wants to redeem you creation is waiting for the sons of God to manifest so the earth is almost like a gardening center the earth is a plant center and Jesus gave this example says the Lord of the harvest planted fields in his harvest and some give birth to 40 fold some 60 some 100 some were chaff and the master will gather them and burn them in unquenchable fire Redemption is coming for all the wheat and for all the tares. The wheat will be saved and the tares will be gathered and burnt up. Those of you who seek the Lord, remember this. That God has not conscribed you to a life of eternal pain. What is coming? Redemption is coming. Hope is coming. Life is coming. Joy is coming. Peace is coming. The peace of God that passes all understanding. The grace of God that fills your, our hearts. The hope. And every plan God has, nation to nation, will still be done. And every purpose in the heart of God will still be done. And every idea in the heart of God will still be established. And everything God wants to build, He will still build. What is coming? Redemption. God will take everything that is not in alignment and put it back 
That's the process of God. So God is accelerating us right now and prepping us and telling everyone who cares, coming into the shape. This is the time of Noah. You understand? As we round up, remember this is the time of Noah. This is the time of the construction of the ark of Noah. And Noah shouting, who is coming? Who is coming on this journey? Who is coming? Who is coming? Let's not rush away today. I just want to carry and stay with you on this thought for a minute. Who is coming? In the time of Noah, what, what happened to them? They were mocking. They were mocking like. There's no, and God, guess what? God, God has now got us into a place where there's no duress. There's no compulsion. It's time of grace. You can choose to come or you can choose not to. You can just choose to ignore. Who's coming? And Noah was saying, it's going to rain. At this time, it had never rained before on the earth. Everything was saying. It was like, oh, Noah, what are you building? An ark. What's an ark? A big boat. Noah, why? What's a boat? <laughs> Noah, why? It's going to rain. What is rain? Noah was building a white elephant project. Something nobody understood. And Noah was saying, come, let's go into the ark. The rain is coming. Nobody followed him. Even his wife and his children, he forced them. At least in our church, we're still better than Noah. I'll preach here whether it's only two people that are ready to go. Are you ready to come on this journey? Are you ready? Ibim shared a beautiful testimony, a season when there are many wise in her life. I've known Ibim. She's a pastor's daughter. You understand? Port Harcourt City, <laughs> babe. <laughs> but when your dad serves God at a level, you are full of many questions because I'm a pastor's son too. I know it. My father was a madman. He would abandon all of us and go to preach for one month. Won't see him. There will be no food. My mom will just do her best. Honestly, it was the kind of man you call an infidel. Because a man who cannot care for his family is worse than an infidel. Some of the scriptures we quote, we are quoting them out of context for sure. He was a wild man and he had the grace to assemble churches. And he would go to a place where there's never been a church and he would start. I remember my dad. I, the ones I saw were in places like Zakibiam, Wokari in Taraba State, in Takum. I remember we, we traveled from, 
from my local government to a town called Kasina Allah. Kasina Allah, this is not Kasina, this is in Benue State, a town in Benue State called Kasina Allah. And we started a church. It was my uncle, Micah, my late brother, Emmanuel, and myself. I was the youngest. I was probably six years old. But I never forgot that day. My dad mounted a megaphone on a pole like this. Just one megaphone. We entered the primary school. And the three of us were his congregation. The guy preached out his heart. And after, <laughs> and after that, he said, okay, it's evangelism time. Imagine giving tracts to a six-year-old. I remember preaching to some people after frustrating, after getting frustrated so much. Some of the others were not listening to me. I dragged one man one day. I said, will you give your life? <laughs> Come on, like I just preaching about God. The guy was not hearing anything. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> was wild. That Kasina Allah, in six months, he had a church of 200 people. He had a grace to gather people. After a while, church politics caught up and they come and said, oh, Michael is so popular now. He has a car now. He has a house now. Let's post him somewhere else. Oh, it's not today I started seeing church politics. I was born in the midst of it. A man had a heart after God. He will leave that place not a word and start all over again. He never picked up an argument with anyone. So when your dad is a pastor and you've seen it all, nothing anyone can tell you about God. It gets you to a point of wise. When you've done your best and it seems like there's no result, it gets you to a point of wise. When you serve in the church office and seen administration and seen church politics get to you to the point of wise. And I've done church, I can tell you. Anglican, Pentecostal, Baptist High, independent churches, young churches. Recently, I was involved in a church plan called the Tribe Lagos part of training their leadership team and getting the church being properly set up. I've seen church. I've seen that the young can also hold back as well as the old. I've seen division come in the midst of the body. I've seen tears sown even in the body of Christ. But nothing, nothing, nothing tastes like God himself. Ah! Nothing tastes like redemption. Nothing tastes like the power of prayer. Nothing tastes like coming to God yourself. Nothing tastes like you knowing God for yourself. Nothing tastes like the journey of faith. Nothing tastes like running after redemption. And after all your wives have been settled then redemption is calling you. Salvation is calling you. And God is calling your name. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. 
Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 